Sometimes, the best stories in golf aren't found on tour. You'll find them at the back of the range. And here's your host, Ben Edelberg. And welcome to the Back of the Range Golf Podcast. I am your host, Ben Adelberg. This is episode 186. Just got back from the Floridian in Palm City, Florida. Special week. So thankful to the University of Houston, Coach Jonathan Dismuke, Morgan Jewell, the head pro at Floridian. Man, the entire staff. I'm telling you, it is such a thrill to cover these events and to see the best and brightest in college golf. Congrats to the number one ranked team in the country, The Florida State Seminoles, Coach Trey Jones, they racked up another team win. And Alex Fitzpatrick from Wake Forest wins the individual title. So happy for him. He also received an exemption into the 2022 Valspar Championship. Can't imagine what it must be like for the Fitzpatrick family right now. I'm sure you'll be seeing Matthew join his little brother at that PGA Tour event. Strong performances by Wake Forest, Pepperdine, Arizona State, You know, lots of really strong teams there and so many guys that I've gotten to know through this podcast. So really a lot of fun for me catching up with them. It's going to be a very interesting couple of months leading up to the national championship. FSU has to be one of the favorites. I spoke with John Pock after he shot 67 in the final round that helped lead his team to victory. You know, here's a guy. He was the low am at the U.S. Open at Wingfoot. He just made his second Walker Cup team. And he basically said that he came back to school because he loves this team and he wants to win a national championship. Doesn't get much better than that. And if they keep playing the way they are, everyone's going to have to run through FSU at Greyhawk to try and win that title. Just a couple housekeeping items before we get to this week's guest. Before the Valspar started at the Floridian, I was able to sit down and record a conversation between Ryan Chrysler, who's lead instructor at the Butch Harmon School at the Floridian, He was on episode 106, so go back and listen to that. But it was Ryan Chrysler, Jonathan Dismuke, the coach at Houston, Trey Jones, the coach at FSU, and Matt Thurman, coach at Arizona State. And it was basically a coach's roundtable where they discussed recruiting, different aspects of the college golf scene. It was a fascinating thing just to be a part of. And that is in the process of being edited. You're definitely going to hear some birds in the background because we got to sit outside on the veranda at the clubhouse at the Floridian to record it. That was amazing. But once that is edited, I will post that. Definitely an episode that you want to keep on your radar. If you're a junior golfer, if you're a parent of a junior golfer, definitely something for you to pay attention to. So look out for that. The other thing I wanted to make sure everyone's aware of is that if you're listening to this episode, On the day it is released, which is March 18th, 2021, there will be a big announcement on my Instagram page today. Something very exciting coming this summer. Some of you may know about it. Some of you don't. But please make sure you're following along all the time on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. The Instagram handle is the Back of the Range Podcast. Very exciting news coming up. My guest this week is easily one of the most requested guests in the history of the back of the range. And truthfully, one of those people that was at the very, very top of my wish list for quite a long time. Kind of in that category of Nathan Smith and Scott Harvey and Stuart Hagestad, you know, people would always start conversations with me like, hey, you know who'd be really great for your podcast? Paul Simpson. I'd be like, yeah, I know I'm going to get him. I just need an in. Well, I had the opportunity to meet the man himself at the East-West matches last year at Merido. 
incredible guy, great storyteller. He immediately said yes, he would do the podcast. It got recorded, and my guest on this long-awaited episode is Paul Simpson. Paul is an absolute legend. The numbers are staggering. He is the only man to hold the British, Canadian, and U.S. Senior Amateur title at the same time, the Simpson Slam. Most of you listening to this episode were not alive when he made his first USGA appearance in the 1960s. His streak of consecutive years where he has appeared in a USGA championship is probably older than many of you listening as well. He holds the all-time record for most titles won in the Carolina Golf Association. It's in the 20s, and he's looking to add. Now, I'm not going to overload the intro with any more stats. You're going to laugh a ton in this episode. You're going to learn a lot about what makes Paul so successful year after year. And as I said, he's not done. So let's get started. It's a long episode. Well worth the wait. Paul, you're at the back of the range. How are you? I'm doing just great today, Ben. And kind of you to have me on your podcast. Well, I uh, this has been a long time coming. I, I, I think you and, and Nathan Smith and, and, you know, you're right in that category of, you. well, you got to get this guy on. You got to get Simpson on the podcast. And this has been a long time coming. And uh, thrilled that you're able to join me and and, uh, you know, glad we're getting 2021 started finally, getting away, getting the hell away from 2020. We have a truckload of things to unpack when it comes to you and your amateur career. But um, tell me how you've been kind of navigating 2021 so far. Well, uh, you know, it looks like we will be back to playing a lot of competitive golf uh, unless, you know, the COVID-19 pandemic takes a different turn. Uh, I don't know how the the mid-ams will be as far as vaccinations. Uh, I fortunately have had my my first shot, or as they say over in Britain, jab, uh-huh. and I'm expected to get my second shot on Sunday. So I will be basically within a week or two fully immunized, and um, I won't have that problem to worry about. Certainly has been difficult, but one of the great things is that golf has been one of the few endeavors uh that that really you can do and you can do with other people and it's been uh you know shown to be safe and you know as long as you social distance and keep masks on everything should be fine so you know as far as starting out i'm going to play in a couple weeks down at the uh, gasparilla which is the first time i've played down there and really the first uh event of the amateur season and i'm also entered in the uh, Jones Cup senior, and I'm looking forward to that. And, you know, as, as invitations open up, I'm going to try and play a pretty full schedule to, this year because last year, let's face it, we none of us got the dust off the clubs as well as we would have loved to. Right, of course. Yeah, I, I was thinking back just, you know, as you're talking about this, and, you know, a lot of things fell through in 2020. But if I'm not mistaken, you had a streak broken in 2020. Um, boy, I'm really going for the sensitive topics right now. Uh, I really start off. And I don't know why I'm doing this, but I, well, let's just plot ahead. You, uh, 2020, if I think my notes are correct, would have been your 36th consecutive year playing in a USGA championship. Is is that correct? Uh, that is correct. Um, and we're just going to say that since they didn't play so many of the competitions. 
I'm just going to kind of whack gonna conti- that from the calendar. We're going to continue <laughs> it, aren't we? I'm, I'm fully. It, 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 I mean, they're they're giving everybody additional exemptions because you know. So I, I'm going to consider it still consecutive. I think that uh, I think that's perfect. The reason I actually wanted to talk about that, or just to throw it out there, because for the listener that may not know the name Paul Simpson, we're gonna. We're going to digest that just to start, and we're going to unpack some other ridiculous stats with your amateur career. But that that's a good way to start, to understand that there's people listening right now that aren't even 36 years old, haven't been on the planet that long. You've done that with USGA Championships, so that's a good place to start. But let's actually go back to where you grew up. You grew up in Jersey, and <laughs> your junior golf career – Tell me about one of the highlights of your junior golf career. Then I definitely need to talk about where you played college golf. Well, uh, my my first USJ event will be, let's see, 53 years, oh, 54 years ago this year. I qualified for the U.S. Junior at age 16. Um, U.S. Junior that year was held at uh, Twin Cities Golf Club in, uh, or Twin Hills Golf Club in Oklahoma City and uh, John Crooks ended up beating Andy North in the finals. Uh, I believe I made it to the to the quarterfinals in that event, and uh, uh, but I bet I beat a couple of you know I beat Forrest Fesler. Yeah, uh, recall that name, and um, uh, I can't remember who else I beat in that event, but uh, it was um, pretty special time, you know, to play in your first USGA event and qualify and win three matches. So. Uh, that was kind of a start, you know, back then, I mean, you had the state junior, maybe an, a golf association junior, like in the New York area, we had the Metropolitan Golf Association. And other than that, you had the U.S. junior and, the, you know, there was no AJGA yeah. or anything like that to compete in. So you had to look far and wide to find, find things to compete in. Um, I was fortunate enough I could qualify for the, you know, the, New Jersey amateur and a couple other events in, in my home state. Uh, but then, you know, I graduated high school and uh, made my way out to New Mexico. Okay. So before we, we travel completely across the country to New Mexico, I, I have to ask, I mean, you're, you know, you're playing all these right now. You li- you're, you know, you live in Raleigh, North Carolina. You've, you've played in tons of Carolina golf association events. I'm sure with all the amateurs, the state amateurs you've played in, you've won state amateurs, and you've seen the the young kids come up. I mean, uh, th- for over the years, w- what was your junior golf experience like as far as you know, just getting into the game? I understand the lack of uh, you know tournament uh, exposure that you had, but what about? I mean, how did you actually get into the game? And you know, did you have practice facilities? And how did you actually get to the mm-hmm. point where you can compete? You know, to give you an idea, our family played golf. Uh, I've just been going through some of the archives. My great grandfather was a club champion at Canoebrook. Uh, let's see, 54 years ago, he, he won the club championship in 1917 and he won the club championship at Madison golf club, which was just down the street from his house in 1909 and 1910. Oh my God. Uh, so that, that, that's pretty cool. Um, I didn't really know that he was that good a golfer, uh, until my mom passed away eight years ago. And I, I discovered some of the medals in her, 
uh, you know, in her box of mementos. Sure. And then when I went back and looked, you know, I, I lived, I used to live in Chatham, which was right next to Summit where Canoebrook is and um, next to Madison where Madison Golf Club is. And so when I went back to, to visit, I went by those golf clubs and sure enough, uh, there was my great grandfather's name up on um, plaques at those clubs. How cool is but that? But basically, uh, basically in the early '60s, my folks uh, joined uh, Fairmont Country Club as uh, you know, brand new members at a brand new golf club, and I took to it like, oh, I mean, I just, I just absolutely loved every second. Um, I wanted to spend every morning, every afternoon. Uh, and basically into the night, uh, playing golf, practicing and, and just, just getting better. And so I, uh, we had a pro, uh, whose name was Ron Reiner, who was very interested in junior golf. Uh, and he, he took a lot of time to nurture both me and, and some of the other juniors that we had around the club. And, uh, I mean, I just, I just loved it. And, uh, he encouraged us to compete. Uh, in whatever we could find to compete in. I mean, I was playing in, um, I was playing in state opens when I was 15. <laughs> uh, <laughs> I could qualify and, uh, you know, and I, I was making cuts and, and things like that. And, uh, but again, there just wasn't that much for a junior golfer or, or really even a mid-am golfer. There wasn't that much to play in. Yeah. Uh, and so when I went out to New Mexico, uh, you know, I had had, you know, some club championships, uh, that I'd won and I'd won certainly some junior club championships and I'd finished highly in, you know, the state am and stuff like that, but no major victories, uh, just cause there wasn't a whole lot to play in. You're going out to New Mexico. Two, two other questions I have to ask you before we get out to New Mexico. I'm dying to figure out, mm -hmm. I'm dying to understand New Mexico, first of all, because I'm thinking, okay, you qualify for U.S. Junior, you're up in the Northeast, there's all these schools around there, but you walk on to New Mexico, so there's got to be a story there. We'll get to that in one second. But the first thing I want to know is, you know, as kids, junior golfers or, you know, you're talking about qualifying for state opens and qualifying for U.S. Juniors. Qualifiers are very difficult. I've spoken to collegiate players that are, you know, AJGA All-Americans or they are, uh, you know, All-Americans, uh, you know, and collegiate All-Americans, but they struggle with a USAM qualifier. Uh, then I talk to some people and they just blitz right through them. And there's just almost like no rhyme or reason. It's not a skill level. Everyone can hit the ball. Everyone can make the putts. But it comes down to qualifiers. Can you even put your finger on how you were able to be successful in qualifiers at such a young age? Oh, I, I, I don't know. Um, I, I seem to be able to step up when the, uh, when you need an extra gear, I seem to be able to come up with it. Okay. Um, I, I, I love the competition. I mean, I just love it. Okay. And I seem to be able to isolate the individual shots as opposed to, you know, the end goal of, you know, qualifying or, you know, whatever you're trying to do, uh, in golf, if you look too far ahead, like basically beyond the next shot, uh, you're going to fail a lot. Okay. Uh, and, and I, I seem to be able to focus on the, the task at hand. How did New Mexico come into the picture when I'm guessing, 
you had to have had a name for yourself as a as a high school you know junior player high school you had to have some sort of a name for yourself with all those accomplishments so well i did but uh, you know uh, the <laughs> golf was not uh, i mean golf was not the draw that it is now right. um, you know tiger tiger changed that for all of us um, golf when i was playing high school golf was not very cool uh, you know, you, you played, you played baseball, uh, you, you could do track, but golf was, was in, in, in many circles considered a, you know, a, a way to get around doing something worthwhile. Okay. Um, now I never felt, I never felt, you know, that it was that way, but I used to, uh, uh, receive a lot of kidding because I played golf, you know, that it was a, uh, you know, not well, I guess we can say wussy. It was yeah. a wussy sport. Yes, thing, you not know. the most masculine and, endeavor is what you're saying. And, and and you know nobody thought it was that cool. Um, well, I thought it was cool, and I really didn't care what anybody else thought. I just thought it was fantastic. Uh, I was watching tournament golf on TV. Uh, we had the U.S. Open come a couple times to Baldus Roll, yeah. uh, which was you know only five miles from the house. I thought that was the coolest thing ever. We had uh, uh, the Thunderbird tournament, uh, I believe it was called. That was was held at Upper Montclair, and I used to, you know, try and get over there as much as I could. So I, I, I was enamored with the game from the first time I picked up a club. Uh, I just, I just thought it was fantastic, and I still think it's fantastic. Uh, so, so at any rate, going out to New Mexico. That was a combination of the fact that, um, you know, back then Houston was the big power. Uh, Wake Forest was a big power. And um, uh, New Mexico was a good golf team. Uh, they were not a, a great golf team, but they were always certainly within the top 25 or 30 teams in the country. Uh, I, I, I went with my dad and we visited um, Houston. Uh, we visited Wake Forest. Uh, we visited uh, New Mexico, Arizona, Arizona State, uh, San Diego State, and believe it or not, the University of Washington. Okay, that's, <laughs> On a, a, that's a you trip. know basic basic yeah basically a week trip, and you know I talked to different golf coaches, and um, back then scholarship money was not as available as it is now. Um, only the very very cream of the crop players seem to get, uh, scholarship money. I, you know, I always thought I could play, but I didn't have a resume. And, uh, when I got to New Mexico, there were four brand new full scholarship freshmen, um, that were trying to make the team just like I was. Wow. So you get out there and you got to walk on and earn your spot. And, Obviously, this you you earn your spot and you you earn all American honors in your senior year. Um, you, before we started recording, you know, I'm I'm you know it's so great that you're you're actually still in, involved with it, with your team after all these years. You guys, you guys have a reunion plan this year. Uh, we do uh, <laughs> probably be. I think this is our fourth reunion. Okay, and I, as a matter of fact, I just got the email today, and we still have. Oh, a bunch of guys uh, that either graduated from like 68, 69, all the way through like 76 or 77. Uh, and we will have probably 30 or 40 guys show up for our reunion. Oh, my gosh. 
So, uh, they're, they're, they're probably 70 or 80 guys on this email tape train. And we have, uh, we have five or six that are missing in action. Okay. Well, we got to track those guys down. So this reunion, I'm guessing, I mean, I'm, please tell me there's golf involved and maybe, you know, maybe a glass of wine or two and just really stories from, oh. from the glory days. Oh yeah. There'll be, um, <laughs> there'll be, uh, uh, two rounds of golf are planned. Uh, and a, uh, a dinner at a, at a hotel. And, um, you know, we have a group rate set up at the hotel and, uh, you know, spouses are invited or significant others if they want to come. Uh, generally I usually go cause it's usually a bunch of guys sitting around <laughs> telling old stories and <laughs> there you go. <laughs> and, and that loses the ladies in a hurry, but, uh, <laughs> uh, but we have a good time. So you played uh, at New Mexico and you turned professional, played the mini tours for a little bit. Um, you know, know you played professionally and then got your amateur status back during the late seventies, but I'm always fascinated by mini tours, whether it's the guys that are playing them now, which are run, you know, there's, there's some that run all over the country. Some run great, some run, you know, not so great. Then we got the Hooters tour. I still think that somebody needs to, start a podcast talking only about the Hooters tour, because I think there could be just, that could fill up episodes for years. What were the mini tours like back then? Is this out, is this out in the West coast or is this in the East? Where was this? Uh, let's see. I, I, for about one season played a very small event, um, in the, uh, Dallas, Texas area and it played a series of maybe, Oh, 10 or 12 events. And then, uh, uh, then went with, uh, Bruce Litsky as my roommate. Oh, uh, to play a series of mini tours in Savannah, Georgia. And we had a lot of good players there. Um, Bill Rogers was there. Uh, Dave Knipe was there. Fuzzy Zeller was there. Um, I'm sure I'm missing two or three others that were there that were, were good players, but I'm, just don't remember the names offhand right now. And we had, you know, we had just a fantastic series there. It was held at Savannah Inn and Country Club. And Litsky and I were roommates. And uh, he uh, he became the leading money winner on that tour. And the practice after the practice rounds, I was so discouraged, I almost decided I should probably come back home because he beat me so badly right. in the practice in the practice rounds that uh uh, I didn't think I had much of a chance. I ended up being like the fourth or fifth money winner. Um, and, and, and I just had a, we had an absolute ball. I made some money, um, uh, that, that fall, both of us went to try and qualify for the tour. And of all things, he didn't make it through the first, uh, qualifying tournament, which just absolutely astounded all of us because he was such a good player. Right. And I, I failed in the finals. Um, uh, but Hey, uh, you know, that's the road not taken for me. Uh, the next year, uh, Bruce went on to, you know, qualify fairly easily. And I think it was only a year, maybe not even a year or two, uh, until he won his first event, which I believe, uh, was down at, uh, uh Tucson national. Uh, and I can remember watching him, I believe it was in a playoff, making about a 60 foot play, 
60 foot putt to win the event. You are 100% correct. It was the Joe Garagiola Tucson Open, won in a playoff over Gene Littler in 1977. Damn. Yep. That was him. Yep. Damn. So the, the memory is still there. Oh, um, yeah. oh yeah, it is. Well, and, it's, you it's, know, it's a shame. And, yeah, I'm sorry. Go ahead. Go ahead. And we, we were, we, we remained friends all along until his, you know, very untimely and unfortunate uh, battle with brain cancer that ended ended probably two three years ago yeah no i was um, just about to say that, just really just, really sad and yeah. uh one of the more unique pga tour players probably in history because because you think he, yes i mean yeah and what a great guy oh. he 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 had he had life in perspective oh my god um you know he 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 liked golf because it provided him a living but he had so many other interests you know he had his uh um, his car collection that he just loved muscle cars from the, you know, the sixties and seventies. Um, you know, and he, he was a great guy, no doubt about it. Yeah. Yeah. I always just remember him just like, didn't want to practice, didn't want to play a lot of tournaments. Mm-hmm. He'd play in as many as they needed to make his, to make however much money he needed to, to, you know, get by and survive and be happy. And that was it. That's right. So. But, but, you know, from those times I, I, I played with so many, um, you know, good golfers. Uh, uh, ben Crenshaw uh, was dating Nancy Hager uh, from Dallas uh, at the time that I went to New Mexico. And my folks had moved to um, Dallas at that point. He called me up one day and said, Paul, he said, Nancy's a, you know, a really good lady golfer, but I need somebody to play with that can play. Okay. And so I, I used to spend, you know, maybe one or two summers when we weren't playing in you know, tournaments like the Southern Am or the Western Am or the Southeastern Am, uh, you know, uh, Ben would call me up and, and we'd play. And uh, that was always a lot of fun. And it, it, so I knew Crenshaw well and, you know, still, you know, we <laughs> we see each other occasionally. He doesn't compete anymore. But when I used to play in senior opens and things like that, sure, uh, he, he would um, – you know, always say hello and the same with Litsky and same with, you know, all kinds of folks like, you know, Bob Gilder and, you know, Tom Pertzer and uh, Stadler. I mean, all those guys were contemporaries of mine that, you know, basically were the stalwarts on the PGA Tour for years and then basically made up the uh, original big contingent of the senior tour. Right, of course. And, and just by listening to you talk about just how much fun it was to play golf with them and compete with them on the mini tour. But I'm guessing you're, I mean, correct me if I'm wrong though, but it, it sounds like you're pretty content and happy with the path that you've, that you chose. Um, I mean, cause a lot of these kids that you probably run into are thinking, Oh, I want to be on the PGA tour. And then I'm going to get the, you know, I'm going to fly around on a jet and I'm going to have this and that and all this stuff. And, and I'm guessing that you've seen, uh, you've probably seen it all. It's just, it's not that easy. And the money obviously wasn't there back then. Well, no, the money wasn't there as much as it is now. Um, uh, it's a, you know, you can always lament about the road not taken, but uh, I've had a heck of a lot of fun Oh yeah, uh, playing amateur golf and, and, you know, winning as many events as I've won and, and being able to participate at, at golf at the highest levels as far as um amateur golf is concerned and 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 also being able to be on the fringe uh you know of of, of playing in uh you know 
I've, I've been in a U.S. Open. Yep. Uh, I've played in two or three, uh, you know, tour events years ago when they had the, you know, the four spotters. I think they still have them, actually. Um, so, you know, it's something that I don't really look back uh, at and lament at all. Um, uh, everybody has their own path and everybody has to choose the best way for them. And I'm very pleased with my choices. Well, let's let's get a couple stats out of the way so people are aware of them. Um, most Carolina Golf Association titles of all time. I think we're at about thirty-eight about now, and um, we're we're up to thirty-nine. Oh, excuse me, thirty-nine. <laughs> uh, Carolina Carolina Golf Hall of Famer. Um, you are a North Carolina Sports Hall of Famer, and one of my and you know back-to-back North South amateurs in ninety-five and ninety-six at Pinehurst. One of my uh, one of my favorite stats that I um, I I'm not shy about uh, passing along to anyone that uh, especially we'll, we'll talk about the East West matches at uh, at Merido, but I definitely will will relay this one. Your number of USGA appearances is just about the exact same number as your age, so I think you're at sixty nine. 69 USGA championships right now, or, or was last year going to be 69? I think last year was going to be 69. Okay. Uh, and it, it, you know, it might, uh, I thought I was more like 67 or 68. Okay. Um, but I, I really haven't gone through and, and looked at it all that carefully. I, I listen to what the USGA tells me it is. And there you I go. Just say, okay, okay, they're right for the most part, sure. even though they're not always right. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, that is my, that's one of my favorite stats uh, that I've heard. What would you say, you know, people listen to that stat and they just, you know, what is maybe the biggest misconception about playing high-level amateur golf, whether it's thinking that, oh, well, you just practice all day and you just play golf and you don't work. And, oh, you just, you know, you show up whenever you want to. Um, what would you say is the biggest mis- misconception about playing this at this high of a level? Well, everybody has to, you know, hit their comfort zone as far as balancing family and work and you know, obviously a, a third career playing amateur golf. Um, and, uh, I, I will be the first to admit that sometimes it is not very easy to do that. Uh, just like, you know, professionals in being able to balance, you know, family life and, and playing the tour is, is extremely difficult. Um, I do work at a job that allows me to pretty much pick my hours. Uh, likewise, if I'm not working, there is the potential that I am not selling and you, you know, it's, it's not a cheap sport, um, you know, flying all over the country and, uh, you know, staying in hotels and renting cars and having caddies and stuff like that can be pretty expensive. And, and you have to make sure that, you know, you, you make enough to be able to fund those, uh, those hobbies. And, and I've been fortunate in that. Uh, I've been able to do that, uh, but it is not easy. And um, and I, I think that there are a lot of probably pretty good players who would be would be better if they didn't have the financial or the time restrictions that you know family and work um, you know put on you. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, no, I was just, just going to say it's a great. We just put it in a great way. I don't think I've ever heard of it that way. I mean, it, it goes without saying. But you're 
you know, third occupation, you know, family, career, and amateur golf. It's a, it's a job. You have to make time for it. And it's, it, it takes a lot of effort and a lot of, uh, a lot of time. Mm-hmm. It does. So one of the things I want to definitely hit upon is your time. Um, you know, you have this, you have a lot of great years that probably stick out to you. I know 91 was a real special year winning, uh, the Carolina's amateur, but, I have to ask you about 2010. You are the only man in history to have the British senior, the Canadian senior, and the U.S. senior title um, hold all three at the same time. And I believe it was the was it the Canadian and then the British and then the U.S. Is that the order that it went in? Uh, it actually was um, the British, uh, then the Canadian, okay. and then the U.S. Uh, and a little bit, little bit different than it normally is because um that year uh the u.s amateur was held at lake nona and uh we played the end of september uh into the beginning of october whereas normally uh the u.s senior is usually the last week in august for first week in uh september so it was you know a month uh you know a month earlier than it normally is or almost two months earlier in some instances and it was a it was a span of actually fifty five days. Um, anybody who is a golfer knows that you sometimes get into a good pattern, and I got into a good pattern at a really really fortunate time sure. and um, played probably some of the best golf that I I, I played uh, in my entire life. Uh, those fifty five days the. Uh, uh, the British senior, I think I won. It was, that was the year I won it, uh, Walton Heath. And I think I won by three or four shots over, uh, Chip Lutz. Um, I went up to the Canadian senior and it was like I had lightning in a bottle. I think I won the event by 18 or 19 shots. Oh gosh. Uh, I mean, it was, I, I had like a, like a 12 or 13 shot lead going into the last round and, uh, it was just, it was just one of those, it was one of those weeks where, uh, I, I think that I only hit one or two, you know, poor shots and probably the poor shots weren't even, you know, the, the last day I got to where I was, you know, trying to hit three woods over water, 260 yards away and, you know, doing some stupid stuff, but, uh, I had the tournament easily won and, and then, uh, I got down to Lake Nona and I was you know, I still had lightning in a bottle, was playing really well. Um, I was paired in the qualifying with um, uh, Talent. Uh, yeah, Pat, and, Pat, Pat uh, Talent. Pat, yeah, Patrick Talent and I were um, uh, playing in the qualifier together, and we we got to the last, last hole, and I had been medalist, I think, two of the last three years, and a medalist had not won the tournament in – like 25 years. And I I said, well, you know, I'm going to, I'm going to try hard on this hole, but I hope I I was thinking to myself, I hope Pat birdies the hole. And sure enough, he did. So he was the medalist that year. Perfect. And, uh, and I was the the second qualifier. And uh, as it turned out, we met in the finals. And uh, again, that was a week that, that I played very, very solid the whole way. Um, I never had a, a match go to extra holes. Uh, I won a, I won two or three matches by a wide margin, which is always easy on you to, 
you know, get out there and, and, and really not have any, uh, any, any problems at all advancing. So, you know, I was able to conserve energy and then, uh, save the best for the finals. I, you know, just, I made everything and, you know, hit the ball well. And, uh, I had a four up lead at the turn and, uh, held on to win two and one. And, uh, I can tell you, I've won a lot of times, but winning your first USGA event uh, still is bringing tears to my eyes here thinking about it. Well, um, then you back it up and you win another one. But I, I have to ask you, what is, um, so what would you say for someone that maybe just, you know, comes out to your club in, in Raleigh and, and randomly gets paired with, with Paul Simpson to play an afternoon game that doesn't know anything about you? what is something that they're going to take away? Like, what would you say is the strength of your game that someone just coming in, doesn't know your resume, doesn't know anything. They're going to say, man, I played with this guy, Paul, and you're never going to believe what this guy did. What is going to jump out to people? Well, usually it's my short game. Um, You know, normally, normally I'm a good putter. Normally I'm pretty good with the wedges. Uh, But quite honestly, um, you know, every tournament I evaluate about, you know, I evaluate what hurt me and what helped me and, um, whatever hurt me, I try to work on whatever helped me. I try to make better. And, uh, the, you know, it's just a self-evaluation that I think every golfer does. I mean, some people keep, keep real good track of their stats and how far away they were and, you know, how many greens they hit and fairways they hit stuff like that. And while I do, while I do some of that, uh, for the most part, um, I look at critical times when I could have saved a shot or, you know, maybe didn't save a shot and, um, you know, work on improving those things that, that I think need fixing. Uh, usually it's not a swing change. Usually it's, uh, you get to the ripe old age I'm at. I do the same things <laughs> over and over again. And, uh, you know, it drives me crazy that, you know, you can be in this game so long and you still swing fast when you got to hit it hard. Right. And you, and you don't need to. I mean, you, I mean, everybody knows that if you swing smooth, you usually generate more clubhead speed because your timing is better. But I'm just like everybody else. If, if I need a few extra yards, I swing harder. Well, I remember, I remember seeing you at so. Merido and I'm like, let me, cause you were playing a, the practice round day. You were playing, uh, playing a game with, uh, I can't remember who you were playing with, but you, you were definitely playing that day. And I, uh, and I said, well, let me go, let me walk down and see this guy's action. I was like, yep, there, I see it now. Okay. That makes sense. Yeah. Just stripe this three wheel well, we, on 10. We, we, I was uh, like, oh, okay. We, I get it. Uh, Albert Huddleston and I were playing, uh, Kevin Marsh and one of his players. That's right. And, uh, and Kevin, if you're listening, um, oh, listening. I appreciate the money. <laughs> I, I appreciate the money, Kevin. <laughs> <laughs> that is that is coming from a guy that is very confident in his amateur status and is not not worried about anything. That's fantastic. Um, give uh, all right. So we're definitely got we're going to get to Merida. We're going to get to Albert Huddleston in, in a minute. But um, you mentioned your wedge game, mentioned your short game, and you know I definitely want to take advantage of your expertise and of your uh your your tremendous accomplishments how do you practice your short game and your wedge game because as you well know every damn driving range in the country everyone pulls out their driver and just tries to hit it as far as they can and the you know chipping green and the practice area or the practice putting green and the chipping green is you know collecting dust so to speak you mentioned you know self-evaluating and and learning from your your 
you know, poor performances, that's great. But how do you approach a, a good short game practice session? Um, well, obviously the, the, one of the important features is to have a, a place where you can actually go and practice short games and, and not every club is blessed to have, you know, a chipping green or, a you know, a place where you can hit bunker shots or a place where you can, um, uh, you know, uh, imitate, uh, different shots that might occur on the course, like hitting out a rough, um, you know, to chip to a green. And, and fortunately it, and, you know, the clubs that I'm members at, they, they all have excellent, excellent short game areas. And it's, it's just regular maintenance. Like you perform on your car. If, if, if you don't practice your short game, it's going to go south on you. And when you need it, it's not going to be there for you. So it, it's just like anything else. Um, uh, you, you are correct. People get out there to the driving range and once they get warmed up, they'll take that driver out and beat that driver to death. Right. Um, and, 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 and yet let's face it, uh, driving is a, is a component, you know, that you, you have to have, but you also have to have accurate irons. You have to have accurate, you know, long irons, medium irons, short irons. Everything has to be accurate. Uh, but, uh, when it comes down to it, the, the short game, you know, 50 yards and in, um, you can mitigate a lot of mistakes by other clubs by having a very good short game. And, um, you know, we all know the old saying that you, you go to the well too many times, you're not going to find water. Yeah. Uh, and you know, you miss five or six greens in a row and you remain even par. Um, that's because you have a good short game. And yeah, you know, eventually you're not going to get one up and down or you're going to put it in a spot where you can't get it up and down. Uh, but if you have a, an off day hitting, if your short game hangs around there, you can still keep yourself in the golf tournament. And, um, so, so I do, um, you know, many times I'll go out with the intent of hitting balls, uh, you know, to work on a swing you know, a weight shift or, a, you know, using my legs or, you know, getting the club back far enough and I'll end up going over to chipping area and, and say, you know what, I'm, I'm really happy chipping these balls today. And I'll, right. you know, I'll, yeah, I can chip a lot more balls than I can hit balls. Uh, if I hit 80, 90, a hundred golf shots on the range, I'm exhausted, but it doesn't take anything for me to hit 200 uh, chip shots to various pins on, you know, on, in a short game area. And so in a way you, you can serve energy and you, um, you do, uh, the, the, the maintenance that's required to keep your game at, in top form. And it also keeps it fun. Like you said, it's more, right. you're, it's more of a, it's more rewarding to, at least in my opinion, it's more rewarding and keeps you interested to be chipping and putting because you can actually see the ball go in the hole you know, banging six irons, um, you know, at some point, unless you knock a flag down or something, it's the balls, you know, even mm -hmm. if you're hitting them great, they're all kind of landing in the same area. Just it gets repetitive, repetitive and monotonous. Well, well, true. But if you have a range that has, you know, target greens That's or true. someplace, it, you can, you can say, okay, uh, let's see if I can hit this target green with eight of these six irons out of the next 10 shots. And, you know, you, you set goals. Um, sure. And if you exceed those goals, you're, you're pretty pleased. If you don't, you know, if, you, if, you're, if you're hitting four of those greens, then you're pretty unhappy about it. Yeah. Uh, so, 
Um, so there, you, you have to make, make it interesting. Um, uh, when you're, when you're hitting your driver, you need to, you know, have a target area that, you know, if you're a little right or a little left, you're still going to be in the fairway. But if you're a lot left and a lot right, uh, you're not going to be in the fairway. And that's, that's when you, you know, uh, start looking for big numbers. Before we talk about Merido and uh, the East-West matches, I know you're the captain of the uh, of the East team. Um, would have had Tim Jackson as your co-captain, but uh, unfortunately he wasn't able to attend. But uh, yeah, you were the captain of that team, and <laughs> got can't wait to talk about Merido. But I definitely wanted to to ask you about uh, your son Philip. I know he's caddied for you in USGA events and other events. And when did he first start caddying for you? And how has that relationship, obviously, you know, father-son relationship, but how has tournament golf kind of accentuated the relationship with your son? Oh, well, if, if you know Philip, um, the golf course may be the only place that he uh, uh, is not talking. <laughs> I, I don't know your son, but... Uh, but, but. <laughs> uh, we, we, he's, uh, you know, he's a very affable and uh, very friendly uh, young man, um, he's not young, young man anymore. He's going to be 40 this year. Uh, but we, we started, he started caddying for me, uh, about age, I think it was age 12. He came up and caddied for me in the Northeast Amateur, uh, which is a, you know, a magnificent event, right. uh, held on one of the classic Donald Ross golf courses, Juan Moisett Golf Club, uh, and held by a, a, a membership that is just, um, uh, so wonderful to all the players and, and it's, you know, just a great event to play in. And, and one of those that, um, if you're out there listening and, 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 and want to set a goal, get yourself into the Northeast Dam because that's a, that's a great place. Um, and he came, he went up there and caddied for me. It was short. Um, you know, it's par, it's par 69 and it's, it's on a very compact piece of land. So, it, I figured it would be easy for him to be able to get around, unlike, uh, unlike you know, uh, you know some of these seven thousand yard golf courses where uh, you have a long distance between tee and green. Uh, I might be carrying the bag the last five or six holes because he'd worn out on me. But you don't, you don't want to bring uh, him to Pebble or Abandon his first time out. Let's let's get a moisten. I can see him from seven holes away. Yeah. And he, um, you know, he did a great job up there. He has always been. Uh, an enthusiast of the game. He never really got the competitive and tournament bug like I have. Uh, although we do very well in father-son events and we play a lot in father-son events. Um, and, 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 and he enjoyed it and I enjoyed it. And it's, you know, it's, it's time we can spend together in addition to playing together and, and doing other things together. Cause we, we not only play golf together, we ski a lot together. Um, and we, we spend a lot of time each, uh, with each other and it's, uh, it's a great thing. One, one thing about golf and skiing, uh, it's, I mean, I see people abuse their cell phones on the golf course, but I don't see many people, uh, abusing their cell phones, uh, on a ski lift. Uh, and, and so we, we do spend a lot of time each, with each other and we, we enjoy each other's company and, you know, it grew from him caddying in, you know, Northeast to start with, to, he started caddying for me in the um, North South Amateur, uh, and a cute little story. We uh, yeah. uh, the first time, first time I won the North South, um, I played 
Robert Floyd uh, in the in the semifinals, and uh, I beat him in twenty holes. And uh, my my in laws were members at Pinehurst, so we were using the members' locker room, and uh, it was the second match, and I mean it was a it was a big deal to beat him. Uh, um, Raymond was out there, and Raymond Jr. was out there caddying for Robert, and uh, Marlene Floyd was out there. Uh, I had a, a rather large contingent that wasn't on my side, uh-huh. and, and we we got finished, and uh, Philip got in the locker room, and he was well, he was a lot more nervous than I was because he said, "Dad, I'm still shaking, and you don't even look like you're shaking." And I said, "Well, I, I was I was pretty." I was nervous out there. I'm not going to tell you I wasn't. Sure. And uh, I went out, I went off and showered and got all, you know, cleaned up and everything. And he still had his ha- his head in his hands. And I said, Philip, are you ready to go yet? He said, well, Dad, don't you have to take a shower? And I said, I've done the shower and I've done the whole bit. And you've just been sitting there with your head in your hands. He said, oh, man. He says, I don't know if I could ever do this. <laughs> uh and and then uh, I always used to get a kick out of him because he wanted to read the paper uh, about the match. And I said, Philip, you were there. You don't need to read the paper about yeah. the match. Plus, that's yesterday. That, that is yesterday. We need to make more headlines today. And I said, after the tournament's over, you can read everything you want to. But but that's, that's what's already happened. Um, we've got to go make it happen again today. And uh, that's that's one of the things that I – try to stay away from the papers and all the other stuff that goes on because you can get so hung up with, you know, what's happened the first two or three rounds and you forget that you've got more tournament of golf ahead of you. Uh, and he would, he would always want to read the paper. I said, just get the paper if you want to, but don't read it, read it when the tournament's over for us. And, uh, then he'd get it. Because there's not, there's nothing you can. There's not going to be a retraction the next day, <laughs> right? Yeah, and it doesn't. So, it doesn't matter what uh, it says, yeah. especially when you got and, more matches to play in. And so he has been there through um, thick and thin. Uh, he's been there through many, many wonderful victories, and he's been there through some some pretty big disappointments too. Um, golf has a way of 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 evening out your up and down times, and. Uh, uh, he's, he's a great cheerleader. He's a great caddy. He's a great friend. And, um, uh, we spend a lot of special times together doing stuff like that. Uh, uh, playing in the, um, senior opens, uh, probably some of the, some of the most fun. I mean, certainly sure. it's fun to win U.S. amateurs, stuff like that. But when you're out there and you've got, you know, huge crowds on each side of the fairway and you've made the cut, and you're, uh, you know, you're going to be low AM or you're going to be close to being low AM and, and just to make the cut in a senior open is, is a thrill, but then to play Saturday and Sunday and play with some of the great senior pros, many of them who we know and many of whom, who we didn't know, but became friends with. And, uh, and he enjoyed that. Uh, uh, and I, and I enjoyed that for him and I've enjoyed it myself. And, and so he always qualifies or he always Caddies for me in, in all the senior opens and all the senior AMs and um, basically all the USJ events that I've played in the last 10 years or so. Wow. That's awesome. That's, I'm really glad you yeah. shared that story. So that's, uh, yeah. that's perfect. I was going to say, I was going to give you an opportunity to maybe throw him under the bus, but I love the story of just his head <laughs> in his hands for like 20 minutes. I mean, that tells, that says it all right there where, 
you know, originally I was going to say, how do you, how do you set the expectations or how does your son, you know, set his expectation for for his golf game? But it sounds to me that he's just very invested in yours. He's like, nope, I'm going to carry the bag. Uh, th- that's, that's my lane. I'm going to let dad stay in this lane. <laughs> well, and, and he, do, I mean, he does a great job. He's a, he's a really good caddy. He knows my game. Uh, he, he, he knows how to read the greens very, very well. And, um, so I, I trust him with a lot of the decisions. Um, and, and we, we analyze each shot and ultimately I'm the player and I make the decision as to what's right. going to happen. But a lot of times, um, uh, I will take his advice because, uh, it's, it's rooted in, in, in experience and, and, you know, sound judgment on his part. Whereas sometimes in the heat of competition, sometimes I, I think a little bit differently and, uh, sure. uh, it's, it's good to have another opinion. As I stated earlier, you were, um, asked to be a, a captain for the East squad at the East West matches at Merido and really just an incredible event where it was really 20 years in the making. They, they tried to launch the first one. Um, but unfortunately it was right around the time of nine 11. So it, it just did not get started, but the uh, inaugural matches were, were last year at, uh, at Merido and, Really, you had, I think we, I mean, yeah, we came up with the number of, I mean, over 600 combined USGA championships were in that room. And that's a span, that's just between like 40 guys. So just every big amateur, senior amateur, mid-am, had a couple of college kids there. It was just an incredible event. And, um, you know, hosted at Merido, you know, that's Albert Huddleston's joint. And um, tell me about the first, I know that you're, you're good friends with him. Tell me about the first time you meet Albert Huddleston. <laughs> Uh, well, I, I, I told this story down at, um, down at the East West matches. Uh, it was, it was Albert and my anniversary down there. Do you remember me? Were you in the room when I told that story? Um, no, I actually maybe wasn't. not. I okay. Was. Okay. Well, 23 years ago, first week in, um, 23 years ago, the first week in November, uh, Albert and I, and, you know, uh, met each other for the first time at the honors club in Ultawa, Tennessee, which is. The Honors Club is my favorite club to play at. I, I think it's just a <clears throat> a wonderful, wonderful golf course. And and uh, I had played in the Mid Am uh, uh, three or four weeks earlier. Uh, was held at Dallas Athletic Club, uh, DAC as they call it. And um, the third round matches were being held in a kind of a mist. And my wife decided that uh, her needlepoint needed more attention than than being out on the golf course watching me. <laughs> and I quite honestly can't blame her can't for that. Her. She went <laughs> and, and so she was in there in the clubhouse doing needlepoint and there were four or five guys sitting around and Albert was one of them. And, um, he was saying, well, listen guys, he said, I'm going to try and go out and meet this Paul Simpson guy, uh, because he's going to be playing with us in a few weeks. And, uh, what he didn't know was that Tom McKnight, who had been the, um, uh, U.S. Amateur runner-up that year and had invited me to come. Didn't uh, that I had I had turned down the invitation to go to uh, to the Honors Club. Whoops! He kept talking about how he wanted to you know meet me and everything. And and my wife Chris uh, uh, finally went around. He says, "Excuse me, you keep saying the name Paul Simpson." And she says, "Oh yes, I'm Albert Huddleston. He's going to be playing golf with me in you know two three weeks at um at the Honors Club in Tennessee." 
And she says, I, I, I don't remember that being on the, uh, on the calendar. <laughs> and, uh, <laughs> well, I, I unfortunately lost my third round match and we were headed back on the plane from Dallas back to Raleigh. And I'll never forget, uh, <laughs> uh, we got about halfway home and she says, uh, I understand you're going to the honors club in a couple of weeks. And, uh, <laughs> My head spun around like the exorcist, and I said, what? I said, I turned that invitation down. How did you even ever find out that I had been invited? Because oh, a lot of times I'll get invitations, and I, I know when I'm getting close to using up all uh-huh. of the uh, uh-huh. <laughs> all of the away-from-home time. <laughs> and, and I was getting very close to getting to that point where – you know, a fuse, bre- you know, a fuse uh, blows up or, you know, all of a sudden the locks are going to be changed. Uh-huh. And I said, well, well, I've turned that invitation down. I was supposed to go over with Tom McKnight, a fellow named Bubba Judy. And then the most amazing thing happened. I, I, I was thinking maybe there was not enough oxygen at 35,000 feet. But she said, uh, I, re- I really think you ought to go. And I go, what? <laughs> because it was going to be another four or five days away from home. And, right. uh and and it was one of those things. It was a guy's trip, and she was not invited, even though she enjoys the honors just almost as much as I do. And sure enough, I went, and um, Albert uh, and I met, and we we hit it off immediately. Albert's a uh, Albert's just one of the one of the really really great individuals that I have been uh, uh, so pleased to be introduced to uh, in my lifetime, and. Uh, uh, we, we hit it off, and then next year I qualified for the U.S. Open, and I invited him to go out to the Olympic Club where it was. And he said initially, no, I can't do that. He says, uh, my wife has uh, volunteered. We're taking care of the nieces and, and nephews. And then he finally said, uh, you know, uh, she uh, accepted that. I didn't accept that. I'll be there. So, <laughs> so, so, so he came out to the U.S. Open, and you know, we had a great week out there. Uh, that's a whole nother story. Um, but, uh, and you know, we, we've been friends ever since. And, uh, I'm a member at, at, um, at Merido and, um, and it's a, it's just a fantastic, uh, place to play and a fantastic place to, you know, host the East West matches, uh, as well as, you know, they had the Southern Am last year and, yeah. You know, he's had the Merido Invitational and he's had, you know, numerous qualifying for USGA events and, you know, staged, um, you know, the Corn Ferry Tour Caddy Benefit Tournaments that, yeah. you know, were, uh, he's just done so many things for amateur golf, professional golf, and just, just golf in general. Um, uh, it's, it's, it's just so refreshing to, uh, to know somebody like Albert and, uh, to be, to be friends with him. And he's, uh, He's a great guy and created a great venue for the uh, East-West matches, which uh, I guess you're going to tell him that I'm the losing captain, too. Now, see, uh, now, now, oh, yeah. damn it, Paul, I wasn't going to say that. I was, all I was going to say is that you were, a, you were asked to be a captain. Now, we're, we're yes, your team lost by a point, but, you know, we're, we're moving uh-huh. past that. But I, I wanted to, I guess what I wanted to ask about that is, you know, this is, you know, it was serious, but it was also a lot of fun. I mean, that that, just, oh, yeah. that was so clearly exhibited where, I mean, the golf was great, but man, um, just, you know, afterwards in, in the men's grill, just everyone's sitting. I mean, nobody's sitting by themselves. Everyone's in, you know, tables are, are together and people are talking. And it was just really fantastic. Um, 
what was your approach to it? Because you didn't want to come in too too serious or too light, but like, what did you learn about just the state of amateur golf by being around all these guys and just seeing just all that talent in the same room? Well, there's um, there was uh, I mean, it was a well, it was just a a wonderfully conceived, uh, wonderfully staged event. Um, I think that the fact that we had a pandemic, uh, added to some of the, uh, well, I, I mean, not really mystique, but it, it added to the event because so many, there was pent up demand as I would call it. Um, everybody wanted to play. Um, uh, nobody turned down an invitation. Uh, I think every single, uh, player on my team, uh, they were so pleased to be invited, so excited to play. And, um, it was just one of those things that, uh, uh it was, it was needed and it was at a, at the right time. Uh, Merido did just a fantastic job. Uh, <laughs> Merido is a very difficult golf course. Um, the, the players, um, <laughs> uh, one of the headlines, uh, of an article that was written earlier in the year about Merido, uh, Albert said, we, we bury heroes here. Right. And it's, it's a, uh, it's a, it's a very big risk reward golf course. And, uh, in many instances, the player will be tempted to take a risk that they probably shouldn't. And, uh, that's what I tried to tell my folks. Uh, you know, there are, they're going to be, you know, it's all match play. So, you make a six or a seven, it's not going to really ruin a round. Uh, you're just going to lose that hole. So maybe there was a little bit more risk taken uh, in some instances, especially in the singles matches, which uh, we got pounded in. And uh, but, but what a great golf course, what a great event, and, and what great players played in it. Yeah, I, I was uh, amazed by all of the names and all the people that were participating, and I, and I loved – one of my uh, fun, I mean, I'd, I had a couple really interesting memories with you, just seeing you at, at the table. I think you were sitting there talking to Scott Harvey and talking to Tyler Strafacci and John Pock. And I'm thinking, wow, you got a table with, you, know, you got the reigning U.S. amateur champion and you have, uh, you know, the the low am at the U.S. Open at Wingfoot. Then you got a Walker Cupper and a U.S. Mid-Am champ with Harvey, and then you're presiding over that whole table. And I'm just thinking, what an ex- what a memory that's going to be for you. And um, and then the other one that I just can't not mention is, you know, this thing at Merido, <laughs> they have these little electric scooters available that mainly the young, <laughs> mainly the young guys grab these scooters. You can throw a golf cart, a golf bag on them, and you zip around and you play golf that way. It's really cool. And I think I saw Pac driving one in a practice round, and um, you know, guys that were there that weren't playing these Swiss matches, you'd see them rolling around in those. And um, and then you get your hands on one of these damn things, and you're zipping around on one of them. And that leads me to ask this question in all of your travels in the world, either playing mini tours or being in foreign countries, have you ever been in a dangerous situation in golf more, more dangerous than that? Uh, well, uh, 
Uh, first of all, I, I resent the remark that I might be a little old to be riding on one of these. Uh, I didn't say these, no, no. I didn't say that. I just said that. I just said a lot <laughs> of young. Well, yeah, was, I said a lot of young guys. Hey, I mean, you want I mean, you're right. All right, you got me. You got me. Go ahead. Oh uh, well, uh, I, I, I'll tell you, they were fun. Uh, <laughs> they were fun. Uh, now, I didn't put my golf bag on that. The, the first day I was riding around with my clubs on there, and some of the guys, when I saw some of the shots going, were worried that they were going to be replaced. Um, <laughs> but that was never going to happen. Um, but, uh, but, but those, those things were, um, those little bikes were just great. You know, they had wide tires on them. Uh, they were somewhat ungoverned as far as the speed, which uh, got to be a little bit of a problem for uh-huh. me. Uh, but, but it was so much easier to get around the golf course rather than, you know, being on a golf cart with a, with a bike, you can go, you know, all over the place. Uh, whereas with a golf cart, uh, there are some places that first of all, you're not supposed to go. And, sure. and secondly, that a golf cart wouldn't get, wouldn't get through. So it was a lot easier for me to see more of the players and to, to get to know them because many of those mid-ams, I, I really didn't know that well. And, and I wanted to kind of bond with them so that we could, you know, uh, maybe have a more competitive team and, and whatever. So it was, uh, it was, <laughs> it was highly functional to have that thing. Oh, yeah. Uh, but, but, but at, at Merido, they have, they have caddies, uh, they have those bikes, uh, they have golf carts, uh, and they have those like, uh, I want to call it a like a surfboard almost. Yeah, where you, you yeah. Put the, the bag the on skate, there too. The skateboard thing or whatever that it, is. Yes, yeah. And uh, I didn't try that. I <laughs> I figured just getting around on the bike. I was trying my luck. And uh, but it, uh, you know they 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 the the golf bikes are very very competitive there, and uh, especially when the course is is not crowded. Uh, Folks tell me they they can get around in like two hours and thirty minutes and wow. play a full round of golf as a foursome. Wow! Uh, so it because it, because those things will move, and if you have people that are, you know, willing to get up there and hit it, uh, you, you'll play in a hurry, and it was great. So, but you meet guys like John Pock and and Tyler Tyler Strafacci who, you know, are just starting their their careers. Uh, I don't know whether they they gained anything by meeting somebody like me or you know Kevin Marsh or uh, uh, Jim Holgrave, which were the three captains there, and yeah. certainly Tim Jackson, you know, all USGA champions, uh, and then you know many of the mid-ams were USGA champions as well, and uh, I think for them it may have been an awakening that here there are guys that are way beyond um, college age that are still enjoying the game at a, at a very competitive level. And I, I think that was very refreshing for them to see uh, that, you know, there are folks that are 30, 40 years older than them that can still play and, yeah. and, and have a, have a lot, have a lot of fun doing it. I know this is going to be a tough question and we'll, we'll, we'll end. I mean, I feel that we can go on for hours and hours. We may need a, a, a second edition of this uh, episode, but I'll, I'll go. I mean, cause we haven't even scratched the surface and I know you got so many stories. I see the first thing I'm going to hear Paul is why didn't you get it? Why, why did you get him to tell that story or why didn't you get him to tell this story? So I'm going to, I'm going to get feedback on this and I'm going to be prepared for the next time. 
you mentioned uh, meeting guys that you really didn't know uh, and, and getting to know the mid-ams that you're, that you're, uh, you're the captain for and also the other team as well. But if, if you didn't have a round of golf, if they didn't have a round of golf to play the next day and you probably could have had time for maybe just one more glass of wine, who were some of these <laughs> mid-ams that you're like, man, a couple of these guys we can get in some good old trouble with? Uh, well, um, just, just looking down just the list. Sto- and I just mean storytelling. That's kind of what I mean, just storytelling. <laughs> well, uh, looking down the, last, uh, the list, um, uh, you know, uh, Joe Duraney uh, probably was <laughs> – was, 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 was probably the biggest character on our team. Okay. And uh, – and what a great guy and what a great game. My goodness. I, uh, uh, I was astounded with, um, you know, everybody hits it long now. Uh, everybody does. And, uh, you know, you look down between Harvey and Duraney and O'Connell and Phil Lee and Michael Muir and Brent Bonner and, you know, uh, Warren Quist and, and Todd Mitchell. I mean, Nathan Smith's on there and he's maybe not a long ball hitter, but he's certainly not a, a short ball hitter, but those other guys are bombers. And, uh, uh, you know, and then, then I had, uh, Geronimo on there too. Yep. And, uh, you know, when you, when you, when you look at those guys, uh, I, I probably would, would want to play with Joe, uh, just cause he's such a character and we would be cutting up like crazy. Uh, and then, then, you know, I play with Harvey a lot, but he is always a lot of fun to play with, especially if you got a little match going. Sure. Uh, uh, I mean, any of those guys I'd love to play of with. Um, I, I, I was, uh, uh, I was really impressed with, as far as the seniors, um, uh, Jeff Knox's game and the way he, uh, you know, being a member at Augusta and the way he was able to attack Merido. Uh, I thought that that he did uh, one of the best jobs in in evaluating, you know, the challenges of the course of the course Merido and, and being able to overcome those challenges. Um, likewise, uh, Walter Todd was probably yes. my MVP yes. uh, because he won all his points, and uh, so that you know, but 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 I wouldn't. I wouldn't say I would play with any one player ahead of any other player because I've had great times with all of them. Uh, so, uh, I saw Walter I may have diffused, you, I may have, yeah, yeah, I may have diffused your question a little bit, but I mean, I, I'd like to play golf with any of these guys. Uh, and I think they, they would have a good time playing with me. Oh yeah. No, I, I saw you mentioned all the heavy hitters. I mean, every, first of all, anyone that was playing in that and anyone in the room really deserved to be there and they're, they're incredible players, but yeah, Walter Todd, I saw him drop a handful of bombs out there. And, uh, oh my God, what a great, what a great dude. That guy, that guy needs to be on this podcast. And, and he, he enjoyed that as much as anybody because, uh, he, he just, uh, he, he just loved it. Uh, he, uh, he, he told me, he said, I'm not sure I didn't really deserve to be here. And I said, Walter, Walter, you would not have been invited if you didn't deserve to be here. And I am glad that you seized the opportunity because he was, he was grinding out there. He was just grinding. Oh yeah. And, uh, and, and he did great. Uh, he did great. And, uh, it's just, you know, tournament golf and competitive golf is, uh, um, you know, it's fun. 
uh, and and we had a great time, um, you know, down there. Uh, I still I, I still am searching for one more point. Even though it's even though even though it's been three it's been three months, I'm still searching for a point. <laughs> I, I'm not. This is a perfect opportunity to make a joke about a recount, but we're not going to go there. We're just not going to do it. No, yeah, no, we're not going to go we're there. We're not going to go there. <laughs> Um, yeah, well, by the way, for those people listening, Walter Todd, all he's really done, I mean, he's won a bunch of South Carolina mid-am titles and he won a four ball and he won the Jones cup senior. So Walter, you're good. You're, you're okay. Yeah. Um, oh, yeah. yeah, top, top 10, top five in the Sunny Anna senior this last year. He's, he's, uh, yeah. When the senior Azalea, he's, he's got a record. He's, he's doing just fine. Well, uh, Paul, I, I think we could probably go on for a few more hours, but we're going to cut this episode now, and I, I'd like to at least lobby for the opportunity to get you again at some point. But uh, it, was a th- it was a thrill meeting you at, at Merido, and I'm really glad we are able to get some time to, uh, to talk about your incredible amateur career. I know it's not done. I know you got a new set of clubs that you're getting ready for 2021, so... Um, I appreciate the time, and, and thanks for coming by the back of the range. Well, thank you, Ben. I've, I've enjoyed myself, and um, I'd love to do it again, and uh, we'll, we'll look forward to the podcast. There you have it. There he is, the legend, Paul Simpson. Yeah, I could fill up another episode or two or three with his stories, and don't be surprised if you see part two with Paul Simpson coming very, very soon. But thank you to him for his time. Don't forget, follow along on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram. Some exciting news coming your way, and all of the previous episodes are available at thebackoftherange.com. If you like what you hear, go to Apple Podcasts, leave a review. That helps so much, and we'll see you again next time here at The Back of the Range.